Well, as we continue this morning, we're going to read from Exodus chapter 18, and Ruth's going to come and read for us. And as Ruth's coming forward, this has been part of our series. This is the last in our series of Exodus, uh, so we'll hit pause on this, uh, and we'll pick it up at a further, at a future date, uh, but we'll move into our Christmas series after this. But today, Exodus chapter 18, and Ruth's going to read for us. Verses 1 to 12. Now Jephu, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Sephora, his father-in-law Jephu received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become an alien in a foreign land. And the other was named Elizer, for he said, My father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the desert, where he camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread and Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. I invite you to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 18. And we'll think about these few verses this morning. Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18 is really a a hinge moment for us in the book of Exodus. It's a good place for us to to pause. It's It's a chapter that's divided in two. We didn't read the second half. But you'll find in the second half that Moses has this a predicament where he's judging the people, and Jethro gives him some wisdom, and the elders come, and they help the people live in accordance to the law of God. It's really this hinge book, or sorry, this hinge chapter within the book, because what we have is the two bookends of Jethro. So, Jethro is mentioned in chapter 3, and in chapter 3, we hear about him. And then again, he's mentioned in chapter 3, verse 8, and now all the way into chapter 18, two bookends, and in between we find out all of the, the wonders that God does to release and to rescue and deliver His people. And so chapter 18, verses 1 through 12, looks back, the first half of it, to that, and we find the summary of all that's gone before. And then the second half of chapter 18 looks forward to what's going to come, looks forward to the law that's about to come at Sinai. So that's kind of where we are. It helps to orientate us within this chapter. So here's the question. How did you respond the first time you heard the gospel? Can you remember what your response was? 
Maybe you were a young boy or a young girl and a parent shared it with you. Maybe it was here in this very church that you heard the gospel for the very first time. Perhaps a Sunday school teacher or, or someone else within the church family told you the gospel, a holiday Bible club, a Sunday school class, maybe a meeting through the week, and you heard it for the very first time. How did you respond? How did you respond the first time you understood the gospel? So you heard it, but what about the first time that you understood it? How do you respond now when you hear the gospel? What does the gospel do to you as you, as you hear it? What does it make you think about? What does, it, what does it make you feel as you hear the good news of Jesus? Week after week here as we come along, as we pray about the good news of the gospel, as we hear it read, as we hear it preached, what does it do? What does it make you feel? When we hear the gospel at church, my fear is this, that we respond with, oh yeah, 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 we, we know that. We've heard this before. There's an apathy descends across us as we, as we hear those words, the gospel. We kind of, our eyes glaze over, our minds glaze over, our hearts start to grow cold. Internally, we almost do a, an eye roll as we hear those words. And perhaps you say to the preacher, tell us something that we don't know. And yet to hear what the Lord has done, the fullness of the gospel, from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, the wonder of the gospel worked out through the various pages of Scripture, through the lives of those whom we encounter, is a wonderful thing. To see how God has worked salvation for us, delivered us from the, the pit of sin and death into His wonderful, loving family. It's, it's meant to do something to us. It's meant to bring life to us again and again and again. And yet we see it in this country, don't we? A familiarity with the gospel. We see signs on the, on the pools that we drive past. We see it on the side of buildings. We see uh, uh, people giving out a little tracks, and we think, ah, oh, we know what that's all about. And there's an apathy that descends. But the truth is that this is the news that we need, isn't it? It's the news that we all desire. It's the news that we've been made for. It's the, it's the last piece, as it were, of the puzzle that we, we try to find the answer to, and we can't find it, and we need to find it in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the news that should give us hope each and every week as we come to church on the first day of the week, His day, the Lord's day, to come and to worship Him. It should reinvigorate us and, and set us the right way around and, and put us forward into the week. How do we respond to the gospel. What we're going to see this morning in Exodus chapter 18 is a wonderful response to the gospel in Jethro's life. So, we're going to see three things this morning and three simple titles to help us navigate our way through this. The message shared, the response declared, and the sacrifice compared. So, the message shared, the response declared, and the sacrifice compared come with me to the start of this chapter, and it's our first point, the message shared. As we see this, what do we encounter in, in, in Exodus chapter 18 is this conversation between uh, Moses and between Jethro. Uh, Moses had, had sent his wife away, Zipporah, uh, with the children. Perhaps we're not sure why, but perhaps it's for safety, for a safety reason. And they send them off to, to Granda uh, to, to mind them and to watch over them. And then there's this great uh, reuniting, uh, and they have this conversation. 
And the conversation goes down a particular path. You see it. Uh, what's the first question that's asked, how's your welfare? Verse 7, uh, Moses and Jethro ask each other, how have you been keeping? Are you keeping well? How's things been? How? And then they move, you see, they move into the tent, and we're at now a little fly on the inside of the tent wall, and we can hear what they're talking about. And they start to talk about the Lord Jesus, about the gospel, about what the Lord has done for them, about the deliverance that God has brought. And it's a foreshadow of what is to come in Jesus. And, and Moses is he's bubbling with this news. He, he has to share it with Jethro. He doesn't start to talk to him about the, the price of sheep in the country. He doesn't start to talk to him about the politics of the country or the weather. They've asked each other about how they are, and then Moses is straight into telling Jethro all about what the Lord has done. Jethro, listen to me. Listen and hear what the Lord has done. Verse 8. Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had rescued, or in the ESV, how the Lord had delivered them. The question that I have for us this morning is, I wonder what will the conversations be around our Christmas dinner table? We all can chart those, can't we? We know how it's going to go. Maybe we're going to ask each other, how, you, how have you been keeping? We get the welfare sorted out. And then topics that are like, likely to come up, jobs and school and university and retirement and holidays and kids and grandkids and the price of heating oil and the weather, you know it's all going to come, and you know whenever you've ticked off the various topics. I know someone actually who, who researches various topics so that they go to their Christmas dinner prepared. That's kind of a little bit nerdy, isn't it? But they, they make sure to read up and, and have uh, various conversations in their back pockets so that the, the conversation doesn't dry up while they watch the TV and nod off at the fire. But we have these various things that we think, well, it could be awkward this year, so we'll, we'll make sure that we'll ask about this and this and this, and we have maybe five things to talk about. The conversation around our Christmas tables, around all of our, our tables, no matter whether it's Christmas or not, what should they be about? What should be right at the center? It should be what the Lord has done for us. What the Lord has been doing. How He's changed us. How He's worked in us. One commentator says this, they are talking about the wondrous works of God. Isn't that beautiful? As Moses and his father-in-law Jethro sit down, they're talking about the wondrous works of God. And in verse 8, all that the Lord had done, Moses is bursting with this good news. And you know what? It would have been really easy for Moses to start off on the negative, wouldn't it? You remember last week what all had happened? There had been this uh, great battle with uh, uh, the Amalekites. There had been uh, trouble. The people had grumbled about the water from the rock. Lord, where's the water? The people weren't in great form. Moses could have started off with uh, his father-in-law by saying, these people, you'll never believe what they're doing now. And he could have started to give off and, and offload to Jethro about all the negative things that have been going on. And instead, he sets the negative aside and he tells them, all about the Lord. And notice verse 1. Jethro had already heard 
You notice this? Such, such impact had been made by the signs and wonders in Egypt that, that the word had reached Midian. And here's Jethro, this Midian priest. And, and he had heard. He'd heard about the people of Israel and how the Lord had brought them out. This had been scattered amongst the nations, hadn't it? And there's, there's different responses. And here we're, we're waiting for the response of Jethro. Now remember, remember from Exodus chapter 6, we had mentioned this a few times through. In Exodus chapter 6 and verse 7, what's one of the underlying currents of Exodus? Well, it's this, God speaks in Exodus chapter 6 and 7, and He says to His people, I will take you to be My people, I will be your God, and you shall, remember this, you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out. It's one of these central themes that people will know who I am. I am demonstrating my strong and mighty arm as I rescue you. You will see me stretch out my mighty arm and work salvation for my people. There will be no gods that compare to me. Every false god of Egypt, what does the Lord do? He takes them down one after another in the ten signs and in the ten wonders. And so Moses tells his father-in-law about the greatness of the Lord, about what the Lord has done. And my encouragement to you this morning is this. Do not underestimate your own story. Young people, you have a story to tell in the Lord Jesus Christ. What He has done for you, how He's working in your heart, what He has done in your life, how good He has been, the things that you have learned as you have studied His Word together. For each of us here, we have a story to tell under the Lord, don't we? If we have known Him, if we do know Him as Lord and Savior, He's worked a miracle in our life. And it's not just that that's all that has happened. He continues to speak to you. He continues to reveal Himself to you. You continue to learn new things about Him, things that spark your imagination, that, that set your heart on fire. Tell people. Share it with people. And I understand that this is hard. It's not easy to open up and to start to share but it transforms people, doesn't it? People hear about the wondrous works of our God, and they say, maybe I don't want to hear any more of that. That's okay. But for those who say, tell me more, the opportunity opens up. You get to share about our God, the best news in all the world, the gospel impacting people again. If we would share our stories, what has the Lord done for you? And maybe we have to think about that, just like someone who, who does a little bit of research for the Christmas dinner, and they have to think of things. Maybe we have to sit down and think this afternoon, what has the Lord been doing in my life? How have I seen His hand upon me? How has His goodness and mercy been following me this year? In maybe really difficult paths, how have we seen the Lord's provision? In the good, how have we seen the Lord's hand at work? How could we articulate that to someone? How could we share that? Not in an arrogant way, but how could we share it? Share what the Lord has done in your life. The message shared. Then, secondly, we're going to see the response declared. I wonder sometimes, are you surprised? Whenever you share the good news of the gospel, I wonder, are you surprised by the response some people will say, 
no, I don't want to hear any more. But other people will start to ask questions and say, tell me more about it. And why is that? Well, we know that every human being has been made for more. This, this sense within themselves that, that we are not full and we are not complete without Jesus. And so we should expect positive responses. And here in Exodus 18, as we read this, what should we expect? We should expect a negative response. Verse 1, he's already heard, Jethro's already heard a little bit about what's been going on. And as Moses comes, you notice how he greets him. I don't know if you'll greet your in-laws like this. Verse 7, he bowed down and kissed them. I don't know if that's how it works at Christmas in your house, <laughs> or you're, you're maybe dreading the in-laws coming. But here he greets his in-law with a kiss. He bows down. And, and then they go into the tent. And you can imagine that, that Moses, as he starts to open up and share his story, he doesn't know how Jethro's going to respond. Jethro could have silenced him and said, that's enough, get out. Don't want to hear any more. Because in the chapter before, what do we find? We find that the good news of the gospel that is echoed out from Egypt, it reaches the Amalekites, and what do they do? They choose to go to war with Israel. They don't choose to respond positively to the gospel. And so the Amalekites take the sword against God's people. And we expect that Jethro's going to do the same, but he doesn't. Look at his response in verse 9. He hears all that the Lord has done, and then in verse 9, Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel. He rejoiced in the people's deliverance. If you're reading from the ESV, it's mentioned four times in three verses. The NIV puts it as rescue. You see, God has delivered, He has delivered, He has delivered, He has delivered. He has rescued, He has rescued, He has rescued, He has rescued. It's an, an astounding work that the Lord has done against the strongest nation in all the world. What has the Lord done? He has opened up the fist of Pharaoh and let these people go. Through signs and wonders to prove that there's no other God like Him. And He rejoices. And it's an astounding response because the Amalekites, they don't do it. They're hostile in their response. And look at the Israelites. It's stark in contrast to them, isn't it? Because the Israelites at this moment, what are they doing? All they're doing is grumbling. Jethro celebrated and he delighted in Yahweh, in the true and living God. And what's surprising here that we can miss? Verse 1 again in case we didn't pick it up from chapter 3, Jethro is a priest of Midian. That's the equivalent to a, a, a Muslim imam, a Buddhist monk, an atheist lecturer, a humanist celebrant. This guy, Jethro, he knows his stuff, and it's not Christianity. It's not about Yahweh, the true and living God. He's hostile by nature. He's been brought up in a different way under a different religion. And so this change, this declaration, it's unexpected and it's powerful. Look at verse 11. Now I know, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Jethro wasn't at the Red Sea whenever it split. Jethro wasn't in Egypt whenever the signs and wonders were performed. All he has to go on here is the word of Moses the gospel being repeated to him about God's rescue and deliverance. And it's just like what we have, isn't it? We have the gospel. 
We repeat it time and time again. We share it with other people. We weren't at these events, but we have it recorded for us, and so we share it. But that doesn't mean that this is empty of power. This is the power on the salvation. As people here, they respond, and they can rejoice. A pagan here, a Gentile, worships the Lord, whilst the Lord's own people give off and mope around and grumble. So, the challenge comes again to us. How do we respond? How do we respond to the gospel? Do we believe that our God is greater than all the other gods, that none stand in comparison to Him? Are we convinced that there is no other way, that He is the way, the truth, and the life? Are we convinced that Jesus is our only Savior in this life? Are we sure that He is our only hope in life and in death? Well, Jethro heard, and he knew. He knew the Lord. Lastly, the sacrifice compared. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 has this beautiful scene painted for us. It it ends with this scene of Jethro bringing before God a burnt offering, a sacrifice, and then this, this meal that happens with Aaron and the elders as they break bread together. What is Jethro doing? The, the priest of Midian has been converted, and no longer does he sacrifice to the idols that he once worshipped. Now he sacrifices to the true and the living God. He, he lays down his life, he gives over his life, and he worships the true God. It's a physical demonstration of being a true worshiper. But there's another layer. There's been an expectation running through Exodus that there will be a sacrifice that will happen. You can chart this with me if you wish to, but I can read out the verses. Three times there's been an expectation already in Egypt that the Israelites will sacrifice. So, chapter 3 and verse 18, the Lord says, go to Pharaoh and say, please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Mention one, the Israelites, let us go three days into the wilderness that we may sacrifice. Then in chapter 5, verse 3, it says, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to our Lord. Second mention of sacrifice. Three days, then we'll sacrifice. Then in chapter 8, verse 27, It's changed now to we must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as He tells us. So, what do we expect? The Israelites will come out, they'll travel for three days, and then they'll sacrifice. Three times they've told us that that's what they want to do. And yet, what happens in chapter 15? They go three days into the wilderness, and we're ready for them to sacrifice. Three days into the wilderness, chapter 15, verse 22, and they found no water. And what did the Israelites do? They grumbled, verse 24 of chapter 15. No sacrifice. Lord, if you'll just release us, Pharaoh, if you'll just release us three days, journey into the wilderness, then we'll worship. We'll worship the true God. And what do they do? They get three days into the wilderness, and they grumble, and they moan, and it continues into chapter 17, verse 2, give us water to drink. Chapter 17, verse 4, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Moses should have turned around and said, I brought you out of Egypt because you had pleaded with Pharaoh that you would come out into the wilderness three days, and then you would worship Yahweh as the true and living God. 
And yet all you do is moan, all you do is give off, all you've done is say that you want to go back. And here in stark contrast in chapter 18, who do we find? We find an outsider, a a man who is a, a pagan who worships false gods, who hears the gospel for the first time, who wasn't even there when the signs and wonders were done. And what does he do? He worships God. He sacrifices to God a burnt offering. And then he's welcomed into this beautiful meal where they break bread, Aaron and the elders with Moses' father-in-law. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? It's a foreshadow. We've said that this book is a, is a picture book of God's salvation, a foreshadow of how sinners under Christ will be welcomed into His table, who will come from their idol worship and from paganism just like us, and He will do what? He will spread a table before His enemies. And he'll invite us to come and to eat and to feast at it. You see how the gospel is contained here in these first 12 verses of this, of this chapter. One day the nations, Jew and Gentile, will be brought together by a sacrifice to eat a meal in the presence of God, says Tim Chester. So here at the climax of this of this first half of Exodus, we see a man who hears about God, who responds to God, and who is welcomed in and fed by God, all pointing us forward to what? To Exodus 2.0 with the Lord Jesus Christ, where Jesus, by His arrival and obedience and death and resurrection, would deliver His people, would work deliverance and rescue for them. And then as that good news is told to other people, people respond and worship, and then they're welcome to come and to feast at His table. And at this table, you will have an expectation, a foretaste of what is to come. And so again, the quote from Tim Chester, he says this, we don't get plagues and miraculous signs every week because they were just the means. What we get is their goal, a meal in the presence of God to which the nations are invited. Not a beautiful thing, a meal in the presence of God where the nations are invited to come. And so, for each of us here today, as we see our story in Jethro's story, as we see an imprint of our story and his story, how should we respond? Well, we should be filled with wonder again, filled with enthusiasm for the gospel, filled with an encouragement to share this message with other people. And then, in a sense, we have to reflect in our own lives, don't we? Have we responded in an appropriate way to the gospel? Have we arrived at church today with an an appropriate response? Are we prone to grumble? We're prone to moan and to give off to God rather than to thank Him for all of His wondrous works? Has this idea of sacrifice, have we lost that word from our church language, have we? Of what it means to turn away from the old life and to sacrifice and lay down our life and as Jesus calls us to do, pick up our cross and to to follow Him? Saying things like, Lord, You are King now of my life. And that means that you're the one who governs my life and not me. What do you want me to do, Lord? 
How do you want me to serve? How do you want me to play a part in your kingdom here at Hill Street? You've given me skills in a particular area, whatever they might be. How can I put those to use here? How can I live for you, Jesus? Am I living for you, Jesus? How can I honor my king more? Not just Jesus being this additional tag on, but him being everything. Just as we see in Jethro's life. This is a wonderful passage of Scripture. Wonderful to see a conversion of a pagan who had worshipped false gods. And I trust this morning it will be an encouragement to us. So let's rejoice. There's no one like our God. Let's be encouraged to share that with other people. And let's look forward to a future where we will sit before our King Jesus and we will feast with Him, forgiven and welcomed by the King of kings. Let's pray for just a moment. Father in heaven, we thank You so much for Your Word to us. We thank You for what we have been able to read about Jethro. We thank You for how Moses was brave and bold to share with him all that You had done in his life. Father, we thank You that by Your Holy Spirit that You save people, You draw people to Yourself, You help them to see and understand the gospel for the first time, and You help them to rejoice. Lord, would we take encouragement, would we take challenge from this passage today, and would You send us out into this Christmas period ready to share all the wondrous work of our God, what You have done, the God of rescue and deliverance. You have stretched out your mighty arm through the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have delivered us from death into wonderful life. And one day we will feast at your table forevermore. We thank you, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' strong name. Amen.